Hello, I'm Katie Hudson. I'm Gary Ellis. And I'm Sean Tymon. And we're all English teachers at the ELC. And while I've been teaching online and developing course materials, um, Gary and Sean have been our invaluable tech support for the last eight months. What are we talking about today? Well, uh, since March, we've successfully delivered our PSE course entirely online in Microsoft Teams. And we were just going to try and explain a little bit about how we got there and the successes we've had. We moved our entire course online with almost 400 students and around 35 teachers. Um, we successfully got the students through assessment and to the required standard for entry onto their university courses. Yeah, and 25 of those uh, were new teachers, which we had to train in the summer. What was it that we were trying to deliver? Well, the main aim of our PSE course is to help students develop the skills and strategies they need to cope with the academic reading, writing, listening and speaking. So it was a real challenge to provide students with the same standard of input, the communicative practice and assessment as um, what we were delivering in a face to face environment. All right, so where did it all start? Um, let's go back to March. It was March the 13th, actually. Um, and I remember this because I was in Australia and they closed the borders. So I was stuck out there. COVID hit. Um, and I guess you you knew it was going to have a greater impact on us than we'd imagined before. So what were the first considerations and what were the first actions that you took? Well, I mean, at, at the time, we were still in Abercrombie Square in the office, and we realized that that was going to come to an end relatively quickly. So what we initially started doing was trying to collect everything that we were going to need to, to complete this project. All the materials we were going to need, started scanning books, taking files off the shared drive, and uh, making sure everyone had access to everything they needed. Sounds quite chaotic. It was, and we had a lot of people on holiday. It was between stages at the time. So this is a time where traditionally a lot of people book their holidays. So we were working with a, a kind of reduced number of staff. We had an idea of how, what we needed to do to get started. Yeah, I mean, a, a lot of it was, was helped by the fact that we had pre-existing materials. So we, we knew roughly what we were going to have to teach. So when it became apparent that we were all going to be going home, it was a Friday. And on, on the first day of what became a new project, we had a meeting with the centre director, Michelle Dwyer, and her question to us really, if we all have to go home, can we get our course online? And uh, if so, how were we going to do it? Could we deliver our online course, which was in some way sort of commensurate in quality and substance to what we'd previously been doing face to face? And it was an extremely positive response. There was a, you know, a limited amount of people in the room, but er everybody there really resoundingly gave gave her a yes as an answer and people immediately started to sort of think about what roles they could use and and such like that's so important isn't it to um, initially react with positivity with a can-do attitude even though it's such a daunting task and quite a complex question can we do it yeah and i think it was really impressive because a lot of us had never really taught online before or potentially used the platforms we were going to be using so I, th I think we really backed ourselves to succeed in this and, and it was really nice to see everyone immediately pulled together to uh, to get this off the ground. Yeah, how did you feel, Sean? Did you feel the same way? I did. I came I came into it um, slightly after Gary. I discussed the possibility with Michelle before I was formally asked to, um, to join the project. But by the time I arrived in the ELC, I could see that we'd already started to form ways of working on it. We were having meetings every day 
and they were really, really productive. Each day um, when I came into the ELC, right at the beginning, I felt like we were making clear progress. We we had the problem defined and we had everybody uh, looking at their part of it. So was that, it was teams right from the beginning, was it? The platform that everybody chose and you just went with it? No, no, not exactly, Katie. No, um, basically the year before, uh, Sean and I had been working a lot on the General English product in the English Language Centre and we've been, uh, through our contact with the CIE, we've been using PebblePad portfolio tool. Initially, we believed that uh, we were only going to be putting four weeks of our materials online uh, because mm. the test centers in China had been closed because of COVID. And we thought that a lot of our summer students were going to be arriving late. So the idea was really to just condense our materials and move a certain portion of it online. But we didn't expect to be giving live classes online at that point. So we were thinking about using PebblePad, but as it became apparent we were going fully online, we spoke to a lot of different staff members in the ELC, and we found that some people had been using Teams to communicate between themselves, and uh, one or two people had been experimenting using Teams in class as well. And it seemed to tick all the boxes. You know, It was gonna let us deliver video classes live, it was gonna let us give work to the students, and it was gonna let us store files considering we, we no longer had access to all our, our shared files on the, uh, on the shared drives. So it's important at the beginning almost to have a checklist of the needs of your course, you know, what you want the platform to do or what you yeah. want to do in the platform. Exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, on, on that first day, I was kind of set on using PebblePad, but as we expanded in our discussions, it became clear that it wasn't quite fit for purpose, even though it's a great platform. And the consensus was Teams was going to be much more suited to our needs. I think what we learned about Teams over time uh, through some very feverish initial research was that everything ties together in it. So students could be allocated work which would come through Microsoft Word or Excel or PowerPoint. And the documentation was always going to work for all of our students because everything was through the Microsoft product. So that, that really gave us confidence that we were going to be able to minimize uh, tech problems when we were working with literally hundreds of students in different locations around the world. Now, what about the people working on the initial development? So you said there was a small group of you, but what did you have to allocate roles to people or were you just working as one big team? So I, I don't know if you remember, Sean, I mean, at the start of this, what we had to do was really break up all of our materials into different different sort of modules or groups and start to work with people who were freshly starting to work at home and they were editing materials quite quite deeply and using the Microsoft Word in a way that they might not have used it before. Do you, do you remember any, any challenges or problems with this? I remember the very, very initial stages of looking through the materials that we had already and thinking about trying to simplify the adaptation system so that we could define a group of people who were going to look at these materials and try to make it as clear as possible what they were going to need to do so that they wouldn't they wouldn't need to look at each document with fresh eyes they would have a clear process of adapting tasks and uh, if i remember correctly in the beginning we were looking at four different types of tasks to make things simple for the students to complete and we ended up slimming that down even further do you, yeah. do you remember that gary i do i do and i think it was what was the real benefit of teams at the time was this was a relatively new and and quite intimidating process for some people and um what was great about it is we had we had a different type of access to what we'd have had in the office. Um, we were able to speak to people on a one-to-one -one basis and, and give them a little bit of tech support and help with uh, 
of the technical side of things without having to say, you know, walk into their office and, and try and do the same thing if we were if we were in Abercrombie Square. Uh, yeah. And I think I think that that really helped. Um, and pr- pretty soon everyone was up to speed. And, and although the first week productivity was a little slow and there was a bit more of a diagnostic kind of feel to it. After that, things started to pick up and it became apparent that this was in all likelihood going to going to work. Like, yeah, definitely. I mean, like like you said, when when things picked up a bit and we could see we could see very easily and quickly that people had become confident and people understood what the what what their task actually was. We had small training sessions with people where we said, look, these materials have lots of different types of tasks that are maybe only suitable or more su- suitable for um, face-to-face teaching. We think we've got a system of breaking these tasks down so that they're um, going to be able to be presented effectively online. We did that. And then I, I remember being able to just click into a folder um, and see very quickly that teachers had started to populate these folders with work that was finished or work that was ready for final review quite rapidly and and that that whole process within teams was really really smooth you know you could take a colleague get in a call show them um, show them what they needed to do on a screen share and then just check progress simply by clicking into a folder it's quite powerful and that's uh, i guess where these meetings come into it as well sean you said that um there were daily meetings, um, and I guess these had to be established before everyone went home so that everyone was in touch constantly. Yeah, one, one thing I think we're, we're still getting better at, but one thing that's always clearly been really important is effective and clear communication. You, you can't work on a project like this with, with everybody isolated off at home um, without clear communication principles. And th- those those. Um, meetings every day felt very effective to me. It felt like every day our goals and our our progress indicators were clearly defined. I found them really helpful. Um, yeah, I guess keeping people in touch with each other is it's important for people's mental health as well, for the team spirit and to um, sort of emulate a little bit the um, in-office uh, communication and, and relationships as well as knowing where you are with the project and, and progressing, right? Definitely, definitely. Um, yeah, I think a big a big part of that as well is before we had to go home, we managed to get a, a training session organized by Tony Dotter, and he was able to take people through all of those basic bits of communication that people were going to have to do online. So when it came to the point where we were having uh, work-related meetings, everyone was already up to speed. We weren't wasting much time with people failing to sort of get connected or understand how to perform the basic functions in teams and, and we also hit the ground running because we'd had that initial training uh, while we were still in Abercrombie Square. So right at the beginning what can we say were the main factors that led to a successful transition online? Well we definitely had uh, great support. Gary, Gary just mentioned part of Tony Dalton's contribution. He did a lot of the really early organization of teams he he supported us with uh, the training session that gary mentioned and he moved a lot well whatever was possible to move onto the a sharepoint site so we could have access to our, our files tony managed to get as much of that done before we had to go home so uh, although a lot of people took stuff that they thought they were going to need from the drives we did have a something approaching a mirror of, of our file system uh, available to us in teams as well i guess um Coming back to the point about the meetings that we were having each day, I really felt like our director, Michelle, struck a really, really good balance between letting us get on with things, 
but also keeping us focused and bringing us together. Would you Would you guys agree? Oh, yeah, completely. Yeah, I think I think the one of one of the best things that happened at the start was that Michelle um, canvassed for opinion on what people wanted to do, and she let people play to their strengths a lot. And and right from the off, we had a really good division of responsibility, and I think uh, everyone was working on stuff that really suited their skill set, and it, and it let us start to move in the right direction really quickly. Um, shall we hear um, what she has to say about her experience in this initial phase? Yeah, I, uh, I spoke to her yesterday about, um, we were sort of casting our minds back to the initial part of this process. So let's have a listen to that. Right, I'm here with Michelle Dwyer. Michelle, what are your memories of the initial stages of moving the pre-sessional course online? Well. If you remember, we made the decision to start working from home before the rest of the university. Uh, this was because we were already in a holiday period in the English Language Centre. And so there was no reason for us to stay on campus if we didn't have to. And some of the staff were getting rather nervous about staying on campus. What I thought we'd do is talk about it and talk about whether we thought as a group it was possible to be able to put everything online and start working from home and to be working from home while we were putting everything online. So what we did was we we got together, we talked about it, we decided it would be a good idea to aim for going home in a couple of days' time and to do as much of the planning as we could in those two days with a view to being able to then actually do the work of getting everything online between then and the beginning of our next term, which was about two and a half to three weeks away. And how did you gauge the general feeling amongst the staff at this time? I think they were very relieved that we were thinking about their safety and about them being able to go home and work from home. I think they were excited to have a new challenge and to feel like they would be learning some new skills and doing something a little bit different. And I think everyone was really up for it. Everybody really got stuck in, was giving opinions. Everyone was incredibly positive. Now, we had over 20 new teachers for the summer stage. How confident were you that they would be able to successfully integrate with the new course and the platform? Um, I was confident that they would integrate. I knew that they would have a good induction, that they would learn the basics that Teams was an extremely user-friendly environment for them to be teaching through, a, a good platform. And I also knew that with things like virtual staff rooms, team leaders to give them advice, and also obviously yourself and Sean were still around to, to, to give that support where necessary. I felt that they did have the support that they needed and the training that they needed to be able to do what they had to do without too much stress. Okay, so let's talk about the delivery of um, of the modules. So what was going on in the ELC while I was down under? Well, by that point, the campus was closed. We were uh, We were all working from home. We made quite a lot of progress on developing the materials. At that point, I don't think we'd finished redeveloping all of the materials, but we were certainly far enough in front so that we could be confident that we could start the course and we could get everything done ahead of time. 
And I couldn't go to any of the meetings because of the time difference. So I was really out of the loop. And when I started teaching, really, it seemed that teams just appeared fully formed. Everything had already been uploaded and and designed on it. So how did you guys do it? Well, there, was, there was a very steep learning curve for us at the start. Neither of us had really used Teams before this all kicked off. Um, so we we spent the first couple of weeks really learning everything we could as quickly as possible. And one of the one of the big advances for us was the discovery about the assignments and assignments really suited the materials that we had so the materials were presented as word documents and we found that if we could edit them to reflect the online nature of the course we could then assign them out to all of our students and this could cut out a lot of the stress and the admin for the teachers because there would be no sending no emailing everything was like live and shared between them so that was really great we got a lot of help at the start of the process i'd spoken to ben mcgray i'd worked with ben mcgray uh, and scott farrow from the cia over the last year sean and i had had a lot of contact with them about our use of Pebblepad, and they made us aware of their champions community uh, and put us in touch with monica and tunde at the cia um, so that really got, gave us some open lines of communication and when we were thinking about implementing like large parts of our course we could always run it by them and make sure uh, we went barking up the wrong tree, as it were. Yeah, right. So the setup of the course that you designed in the beginning was um, a bit different to how we're building building our modules now. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, sure. Um, at the start of the at the start of the twenty week course, we had a relatively small cohort of students. We had ninety between eighty and ninety students, and they were all doing the same work. So we thought. What, what would be easier from the start so we could keep a little bit more control over it, be able to invigilate it a little bit, was to have everybody in the same team. They were all having the same assignments. Uh, we could take a lot of the work away from the teachers by doing all of this ourselves. Um, so we had one team, eight private channels, one for each group, combined with a uh, induction session for teachers and one for students. We, we found that we could get this up and running with a minimum of fuss, basically. While this was going on, we were still really learning the most effective ways to communicate inside Teams. And at the start of this, we'd set up a chat with all of the teachers for them to discuss issues related to the course. We found pretty quickly that this was getting unwieldy. It was generating a huge amount of messages, but and they weren't threaded. So we, um, we decided to implement a channel and we found that in doing this, we could streamline the communication. So suddenly discussions became threaded. Everything became a lot more efficient, a lot clearer for the teachers. So when they were participating in important discussions related to the setting up of the course or the management of the students, they were easily able to find each other's topics of conversation that had been started. Definitely. We implemented things over the summer where we could see that rather than um, causing stress for people by having disparate information all over the place and, and communication practices that weren't as effective as they could be. Instead, teachers were giving us feedback that they were really, really benefiting from connecting with each other, connecting with the resources that we were giving them. Yeah, we got some really great feedback from the teachers right from the off. They were very open and honest about what they needed. And I think our, our job really was to to let them do the teaching and to take as many of the obstacles re related to the technology out of their way so we we set up like drop-in sessions uh, we had weekly teams training and uh, we would organize those based on staff feedback they would tell us what they needed we would put sessions together for them and we found that we had almost 100 percent attendance to these sessions so people people showed that they were really interested in getting better at this and learning how to do it right from the off uh, which was fantastic to see and we tried to get around the teachers as best we could you know we would always we would be phoning everyone almost every week 
and, and just checking in and trying to get an overview and, and the clearest picture we could about what was going on on the course at the time because it was still really really new to us and although we had a, a huge workload I think it was really important for us to set that time aside to, to speak to everybody and really sort of try and understand their experience. That, that, that was something that you um, implemented right from the start Gary I remember even when we were really really busy I remember having conversations with you really early on where you said it's so important that we get around and we speak to everybody and we make sure we know how everybody feels and I think that allowed us to avoid big problems um, yeah. because we were, we were listening to people all the time so we could see we could see problems before they b- became uh, something unmanageable. Definitely, definitely. I mean, I, ironically, I think one of the people it was most difficult to speak to was was UK. I mean, you were you were working with a really large time difference. So h- how was it for you at the time? What about your experience teaching? Well, yeah, I just want to touch on what you guys have said um, because really the cognitive load on the teaching staff was was really significant. I mean, we had no time to research and learn about teams and develop new new online teaching skills. I mean, we were straight into teaching, so it was all new. So having that kind of teams training and the one-to-one support available to us, it was invaluable. So although we knew what we wanted from our students and we knew the learning outcomes of the course and we knew what we wanted our students to achieve, the journey to providing you know a successful learning environment and and to achieving those aims was so difficult with with so many tech considerations at the same time as you know being the best teacher that you can be in an online learning environment and we had to keep adapting um, how we teach and also and using the new tools that we were taught yeah definitely I mean what we were what from our perspective what we were trying to do is reduce this cognitive load on the teachers as best we can and on the students and um, one of the ways we were really trying to do that is to standardize the instructions and all of the materials so we would try and have consistent elements across all of the different documents and classes and lessons so the students could recognize it the teachers could recognize it and certain certain things that seem relatively simple became quite important um, some of our lessons are relatively long documents up to 20 pages and this in an online environment presents certain challenges uh, for the teacher when they're displaying this to the students so we found things as simple as adding links into documents to let teachers jump between different parts of the document um, quickly without having to scroll around and and discover the materials that they were looking for were, were really important with this kind of work a lot of the innovation comes from just thinking outside the box a little bit uh one of the the most important developments that we've we've come across and I think one of the things we did very very early into the process was work out how we could institute some form of breakout room so what we what we realized we could do was use meetings in the calendar to provide some rudimentary form of uh, breakout rooms so we found that we'd have a main class meeting but we could also set up concurrent class meetings which the students could then join when instructed by the teacher so as far back as as early May we had um, some form of breakout room for teachers to use which is the first of what is now three incarnations of breakout rooms um, I think this was what gave teachers the feeling that they were doing something more similar to a, a face-to-face class because obviously in, in the classroom you, you can uh, institute group work really easily this was a, a bit of a phase shift for our teaching and we suddenly found that engagement went up uh, students who were previously not happy to speak in the larger class meeting which could be up to 15 students, 
uh, became a bit more engaged because they were happy to speak in these smaller groups. So this this was a real uh, real benefit to the course. Yeah, that that's a really important consideration, Gary. The uh, that much needed spoken communication that our international students need to practice their language as well as discuss and learn about the um, the skills they need for for their academic English. While I was in Australia, I was in the same same time zone as my students, and I was setting up the meetings that you speak about and I was in the breakout rooms with them at the beginning and jumping between them to sort of get them on task and and make sure they knew what they were doing and also provide error correction and and all of the things that you do in these kind of speaking activities but when I moved back to England of course the time difference then jumped to like 11 hours but because I got my students into the habit of meeting every day at midday, they just continued doing it. So for the rest of the course, they just instigated this on their own. So I set up the meetings in their calendar. They recorded them so I could I could watch them later. But but it was really, really wonderful to see that the students really enjoyed that that level of autonomy and also getting together in those in those breakout rooms for speaking practice. That's fantastic. So I remember around this time, the major concern we had was the sheer volume of work that we were asking people to get through. And I think we really had to find a way to cut that down. Sean, do you remember how we went about this at all? I remember that we um, we never stopped looking at that because in the, in the early stages, we knew we needed to do a couple of different things at the same time. We needed to cut the materials down where possible um, and also streamline them for online delivery. The second part was relatively simple. We were able to classify the tasks and provide spaces for the students to uh, to write their work. And then um, obviously it would be easy for the teachers to give, uh, give feedback. With looking at streamlining the materials down, that was something that we looked at again and again and again. So we did the initial um, phase of that right at the beginning uh, with the materials that we got ready for the, for the start of the course. And then once the course started, obviously, very quickly, um, students and teachers were working on these materials. And so that generated a lot of feedback for us. And it became clear that we really needed to look again at how we balanced um, the learning outcomes and the need to make sure that the students made made the progress that they needed with the fact that delivering this amount of material online um, wasn't really effective. So we, we went we went back to it. We looked at we, we talked to the people who had designed the materials and we looked for any and all opportunities. Recycle uh, texts where possible so that instead of doing a task where they were looking at where the students were looking at uh, more than one reading text, if it was possible to get them to look at something that they'd already seen and were familiar with and therefore save them a bit of time, then we looked at doing that. But I remember all the way through the course, when people were available, we were taking people um, back onto the materials uh, to look at them and to uh, to try and streamline them down. And I think we made some progress on it. Obviously, it's it's a big challenge. It was. It was a big challenge. But I, I think we actually got really, really great feedback from the teachers and the students saying, well, what a kind of emotional benefit it provided. You know, working online is, is a difficult thing to do and not many people are particularly familiar with it and this course is a very intense course um, some very severe demands on teachers and students time and i think it was really important for us to to cut that down as best we could and i think everybody benefited from it the uh, the cognitive load on, on the students with this asynchronous aspect to this course was was really uh, stressful as well for them and i think some of the things that you guys in, initiated 
during that stage is is now being taken into into material design at the moment. So what we've seen as really important is is sort of the layout organization of tasks within a document is really important. So to reduce those tasks down to something manageable but also uh, something visually manageable. So labeling tasks very very clearly, having space between the tasks in the document. All of these things um, contribute to like reducing the stress of of looking at documents online and becoming overwhelmed with the amount of text. And it, it's something that we're that we're doing now when when we're using um, notebook and when we're using assignments in Teams to design the new courses. Absolutely, Katie. And w- one thing I've mentioned a couple of times throughout this uh, podcast is kind of standardising the tasks. So one thing um, that we thought would be a really good idea to reduce the stress for the students is to make it so that we only had, we took all these different types of tasks that have been in the face-to-face classes, we boiled them down to, I think, uh, in the end, I think just three, Mm -hmm. three types of tasks. Uh, Students could be taking notes, they could be um, answering a a kind of straightforward quiz inside the document, or they could be writing an extended answer. And that was it. All the work that the students would be doing outside of class would fall into one of those three categories. And um, the instructions were therefore really, really standardised. The students were able to familiarise themselves with the types of tasks that they were that they would be doing, and they they got trained really, really quickly to be able to be able to do that. Yeah, that, that's a, a great point, Sean. It's that habit building. Um, and we spoke about that before, the, you know, building new habits um, for, the, for a new environment. It seems obvious now, but at the time we didn't realise the challenges of, of instruction, uh, concept checking. Um, it would impact so much on like class time. So providing those very, very clear instructions inside the materials, but also sort of concept checking in the classroom as well. It just needs to be much, much clearer. You just never know um, if students' videos are off, for example, how many students are engaged? Are they on task? And so finding out, you know, if that the students know what they're doing, that is paramount. I think that's a really massive point, Katie. Um, even even, even as, as teachers and people who are supporting a platform, how do we how do we think about online learning? Is it completely different from face to face? Are there things that we can take from our face to face practice that inform online learning? Well, yeah, for sure, but it is still such a, a unique environment for the students that we and we need to respect that and support it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think um, I think the correction was a really big problem in in some ways because we we found that with these long lessons online, we weren't getting through them at the sort of pace we would face to face. So we ended up having to include a lot of answers to the tasks in in the document um, and I think certain students a high percentage maybe of, of the students higher than we'd like would refer to the answers when when asked a question by the teacher they could just refer to the answers and give the correct answer how did you find that Kate as a teacher I mean that's really demotivating isn't it it's it's uh, in, in a classroom environment when you want dynam- dynamicism and you, and you want student engagement and you want original answers and communication real communication if it becomes simply referring to a correct answer that's already been given to you or because of the nature of the classes we were doing, which were predominantly flipped, it meant that with the answers, I guess it, it, it could engender um, laziness in some students to just refer directly to the answers without thinking for themselves and critically engaging with the, with the materials. So that's something that we don't do now. 
we don't provide answers in the materials. Yeah, I think the the time demands on the teachers are so huge that if you're if you're doing bits of marking online, where as in the past you may have been correcting by hand on on a piece of paper, suddenly if you're trying to implement your correction code via uh, comment bubbles in Word, some teachers were finding this took them a significant uh, extra amount of time compared to what they would have been doing in a face-to-face environment. So all, all of these things had to be built into the materials we're producing subsequently. And I feel um, we've done our best to listen and, and adapt like this, but mm-hmm. these, these are big challenges and some of them don't have perfect solutions. Yeah, we're in the process of um, of trying to kind of collate all these challenges um, on the on the student side as well as for the teachers, and um, we're trying to we're trying to build some kind of principles and expectations and conventions for online learning. Should we talk a bit more about that? Yeah, I think one of the biggest challenges was and and still is to what extent do we sort of demand the use of cameras in the classroom. Um, Of course, the teacher will always put their camera on and they can see the benefit to this, but the the students not necessarily. And, you know, we recognize that there are there are many reasons why it's an unusual situation. It's understandable that they would be reticent to turn them on. There might be cultural issues, but it does it does make a big difference to the to the classroom dynamics. It makes a difference to the building of relationships, um, and it certainly makes a difference to engagement and the teacher feeling confident that you know what they're doing in the classroom is working and the students are reacting well to what they're doing. Um, there are some things that we've learned along the way, and now we can take some approaches in the classroom to encourage it, to break down some barriers. We can use play play around with the backgrounds in teams. We can have dedicated moments where the video must be on, uh, while other moments can be more private with students working independently. So rather than just making a blanket demand to have the cameras on, you can kind of work that into into your classroom management um, because it is exhausting. It's exhausting to know that people are constantly looking at you and it's exhausting to have to, you know, make sure you're you're presentable the, the whole time for a, for a two-hour class is, is quite exhausting. But these are new habits, and um, they're habits that we're trying to instill and build into into the into the online classroom. Yeah, definitely. I think we, we have to respect their privacy to a degree, but these are language classes, and we do need to exploit that, that style of communication, that visual communication is a really important part of it. Certain students do have an increased level of like anxiety and stress with the camera, but we we can manage that, I think. And certain other students do have competing obligations. They they might be caring for family members. They might have their own children. And some of the time um, they do feel like they have to keep mm. the camera off. But I think what, what Kate was just saying about categorizing activities and having parts of the class where they're off and parts of the class where cameras are, are required to be on is, is a really great idea. And I, I think we should be using that in the future. For sure. Now, um, another challenge really was was the moving of assessment online. Do you remember how that was approached? We were lucky in the, at the start of the process, we had an assessment working group. So we had a, a team of people working on, on the assessments. But we did have a lot to think about. We were trying to provide listening assessments online. So we needed to guarantee that the students weren't able to share that content and, and pass it around to people who would be taking the test later on in, in the same day. And we also needed them to submit video presentations, uh, individual video presentations, which was something we'd obviously never done before. We were looking to get 80 people submitting a document to us or a video to us inside a day. Yet finding workarounds and ways to do that 
was was a really interesting challenge. What we realized was that we could set up a form using the Microsoft oh, Forms system and the students were able to record themselves on their mobile phones, directly upload it via the Microsoft Form. So where this was great is it attached all their metadata. So we knew who they were, what group they were in. We got their university email address and it was really easy for us to check off uh, just in case anyone hadn't done it. Um, and we found with the production of a few small videos to help them get through this form, which was extremely simple, only two questions, including the, the upload. We managed to get and process all 80 videos by the close of play on the same day they were submitted. So that was that was a big win, I think, near the start of this. And there was uh, also some live marking as well of presentations, wasn't there? So we had some individual presentations uh, at the end of the course. We had two teachers who had a chat set up for them. So they had a chat together. They would be in the meeting with the five students who were all presenting. And they had a, a marking scheme in front of them set up inside Microsoft Forms, which they could just check off the marks. And then afterwards, we could use the Excel generated by the form to compare the marks and work out if there was any great discrepancies, anything that maybe the coordinator or the team leader would have to look at. And we found that this kind of more data-driven way of doing it really let us optimize it when we had huge amounts of students to mark in a very small amount of time. Like towards the end of the course, we were, we were up to nearly 400 students. We had to get everything ready uh, in a very tight time frame because results would have to be passed to the exam board and we would have to make decisions about um, whether or not students had passed the course. So yeah, using, using tech to, to mitigate this and to keep teachers away from complicated spreadsheets and things like that was a, re a really big boon at the end of the course, I think. Was that something that we did based on feedback from teachers, Gary? Because I feel like we did we did turn that around really, really quickly. And I'm just wondering what the impetus for that was. Yeah, earlier in the stage, uh, there'd been like a practice assessment where they went through the same process, but they used uh, a spreadsheet. And we found with such a volume of teachers, and especially a lot of people who maybe weren't quite as used to our systems as we have a lot of temporary staff over the summer, it was too dangerous. If, if somebody made a mistake, it could affect the entire sheet. If operations were made incorrectly, it could have messed up filters for people and things could get quite unusable quite quickly. So we found by compartmentalizing it and using the, the tech that was available to us in forms, we, we could get around this and we did get a lot of good feedback from the teachers. It saved them a lot of time and it, it really reduced any any chance of error, I think. I remember during that period, we figured out that solution of using the form. We knew how it was going to work between the first and the um, the first marking and the second marking and getting the getting the results recorded. And then when it actually came time for it to happen, that was a that was a nervous couple of days. But we, 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 we went through without a hitch, really, didn't we? Yeah, it was surprising. We, we were we were sat there on the day waiting by the phone, really, waiting yeah. for all sorts of disastrous calls and not one came. It, it all went off without a hitch, which was a little bit nerve-wracking at the time. But it, yeah, obviously it was a positive thing, yeah. Now, another thing that we had problems with then, and, uh, and we, still, we still have to consider this now, is um, anti-cheating measures. So during online um, assessment, now you talk about listening assessments um, and the kind of tools that are available to students to help them understand audio are increasingly impressive. What kind of issues did you have then and, uh, you know, what kind of things did you did you implement to uh, deal with that? We worked with the assessment working group on this and we found that we could mitigate it through careful timetabling and the use of many different recordings. So we 
we would have seven different recordings. Each recording would be played to a group of students who were listening to it at the same time. So they could never pass on the topic or details of the content of the assessment to people who were going to be doing it later in the day. Uh, we obliged the students to have their cameras on and, and it, it becomes quite obvious quite quickly if they're reading from the screen. At that time, live captions in Teams were not quite as good as they are now. So that's something we have to think about in the future now they've got so good. But uh, at the time, no, teachers were able to pr pretty confidently work out if they were reading any captions. And, and again, through the timetabling, we could pretty much guarantee that they weren't able to pass answers to anyone else. Yeah. And while, um, you know, we can take take measures to try and mitigate this, um, there's al there's always going to be some students that um, will find new ways to to get around it. So, I mean, one of the things that we're doing now is relying heavily on um, informing students of rules, um, having declarations that they have to sign, um, which means that they, they uh, can be held accountable um, if they if they are caught. This is something that we that we maintain focus on and we take very, very seriously. We're trying to establish um, expectations for the students. We're trying to um, create processes that make it hard, that make the assessment as secure as possible. And it's, it's something that we, like I said, we take really, really seriously. So um, I think what we're what we've become much better at is um, designing materials that include in-class collaboration. So that's collaboration inside notebook, for example, collaboration in PowerPoint, collaboration in, in Word documents. Um, and this means that students can work together in, in class time, in real time, and we are able to monitor sort of what they're doing and see the students work in real time. Um, and that's something we, we experimented with um, during sort of the the 20 week, um, but it's something that we're, we're getting much better at. Also using a notebook, uh, that's been a big experiment in the last three months. Um, we're continuously learning how to operate a better in notebook. I think there might be another case study that focuses on that specifically because it's, it's an interesting area and we've learned a lot from it. Um, but it's been it's been great that we've had uh, a lot of time to dedicate to development. It's meant that we can really look at our materials um, and design them specifically online for the next stage rather than being that kind of rolling, trying to update materials whilst we're teaching and reacting to feedback in the moment. You know, we're able to now learn from what we have done um, and design things that are very specifically dedicated to what we want to do with them. Um, there are certain things that we have done that moving forward, if we if we return to face-to-face -face or hybrid teaching, would stay online, I think. We made an e-portfolio module that would stay online and we'll tr we're trialing that next stage. Um, so this is all exciting stuff. I think I think moving online has really sort of drawn attention to some practices and some habits that we had that needed changing anyway. I mean, the amount of paper we were printing uh, was criminal, really. And we were always looking at how to be more environmental and cut back on things like that. And I think um, implementing asynchronous and, and online materials can push us in that direction. Well, it's not going anywhere. Online learning is definitely here to stay. Um, I think if we believe in it, if we believe that it has a value, and the students seem to really like it. I mean, we've had we've had feedback from students where even if, if given the choice in the current situation with COVID, even if given the choice, they would prefer to study online. They they clearly they're clearly getting something out of it. 
Yeah, we've got some feedback videos actually from our students here in this case study uh, file. So it, it was phenomenal. I think nobody expected feedback to be that good over the summer period, but but it was great that it was. There are, there are still some new things that we're that we're looking at integrating, uh, new apps that we've uh, we've been able to access through Teams. Things like Flipgrid. Um, we're looking at improving uh, student engagement and participation using slightly. Uh, slightly innovative uh, methods hopefully but yeah pe people are getting really really comfortable with the basics we're seeing really great things happening from the teacher team and also yeah. using using the uh using the insights um app as well so keep an eye on what's going on in our courses and working out if any action needs taken with any individual students or even with an entire course um, we get a lot more information now about engagement communication the use of the assignments and this is all data that would be really hard to monitor if, if you're in a face-to-face -face environment but uh, it's something we have like literally at the click of a button now and how are you taking the training aspect forward then a lot of the basic parts of um of teams and the teaching of it is now quite well covered by the teachers but we, we're looking to make the the team as self-sufficient as possible come april when we'll finish this contract so we um we've devised a, a plan where we're producing uh, very short guides, like two, three, four minute guides to each of the important functions of the administration of teams and, and with the teaching of teams. So uh, teachers will be able to refer to that and hopefully uh, we'll get everyone up, up to a level where they can all manage every aspect of teams uh, themselves. Yeah, I think um, it's exciting to be able to have time to experiment with the tools on the platform now. Um, compared to the initial stages, teachers have become more open to this kind of experimentation in class. They seem to be enjoying new experiences, despite things going wrong, which that you know they occasionally do. Tech breakdowns, you know, are frequent. Um, but we've learned how to sort of work around them and and adapt methodology in the classroom to to deal with students dropping out of videos or audio. And, you know, you can use chat, you can use um, uh, Microsoft Word documents as, as shared documents to allow students to contribute if their microphones don't work or there, there's always ways that you can work around the problems. And I think the teachers now are, uh, are more comfortable with that level of risk. And what is progress and innovation without some risk, right? I think we're all learning more about taking risks in the classroom, how enjoyable it can be when those risks pay off. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And and also, like now we have a little more time on our hands. We can We can look at the ways we're working inside of Teams as well. We can look at if there are ways we can communicate better, if there are ways and apps we can use to make ourselves more productive, reduce maybe certain amounts of time that we, we end up spending in meetings, which isn't strictly necessary. Um, mm -hmm. We've started using the, the planning apps and also the lists app uh, and, the, and the calendars in SharePoint to sort of take a bit of a burden off, off the meetings, free up time for more useful discussion rather than just a dispensation of information. And using polls as well, if we can if we can get an overview of people's opinions before we arrive at the meeting, we, we can really sort of use the time in the meeting to greater effect. Okay, so let's now hear from one of the teachers who's been with us from day one. This is Aldona Norcus. Hi, Aldona. Hi, Katie. So let's have a bit of a chat about our experience over the last eight months. So okay. Initially, we were all a bit unfamiliar with the tech involved in the online classroom, but we've all made incredible progress. Um, have you made any interesting discoveries that you could share? 
Um, well, it's been a very interesting what, nine, eight, nine months. Um, and as you say, it was all very unfamiliar. Um, but I suppose some of the things that you can pick up is that being online is quite a static environment uh, compared to being in the classroom. So things when you're in the classroom, you're constantly moving, you know, sort of engaging students with body language, which has been a bit harder online. But you could probably um, try and get students to be a bit more involved by you standing up away from the camera, looking directly at the camera rather than looking at the screen itself um, and trying to engage students with more eye contact and moving your hands and sort of making it clearer to the camera that you're using your, your hands and your body, um, standing away, coming closer, again, maybe more dramatic effect, and again, getting students to do the same thing. So again, when students had to do things like presentations earlier on in the year, um, I found that by getting them to stand up and move away from the camera, they actually performed better than sitting down because it was more real and it was more natural to be doing that for them. Yeah. And so that's kind of, um, yeah, that movement and that, that body language has been a, a big change. Um, it's quite hard teaching without body language. I think that's really good tips, isn't it, for, for movement yeah. and relaxes you as a teacher as well, if you can use a bit more of your body. And yeah, as well, sitting away from the screen is actually, you know, they can still see you, but actually it takes the pressure off your eyes as well, which has been, I think, one of the hardest things all the way through is that, that um, your eyes get really tired by looking at the screen constantly. So again, if you physically move away from it, you mm. start to look around a little bit more, move around. Mm -hmm. It also re uh, reduces that pressure too. And so we can think about things like, we we're talking about lighting. Again, it's about creating that atmosphere within the classroom quite easy to do in the classroom, hard to do online. So, you know, using different backgrounds, for example, um, to build rapport with students. So what I found is that um, we have maybe a, a background of the day. I got this idea from a guy called Nick Peachy, um, who did a webinar on teaching online and he's because he's been teaching online for a long time. And yeah, it's quite fun. You get the students to maybe take it in turns to choose a background and then all of the students put the same background on. So when it's a miserable day outside in England in the rain and the grey, one of the students puts the, the beach on so we can all go to the beach and mm. it kind of it lightens the mood. Um, it makes people smile. Um, so that that's you know something to consider. And again, it's sort of a way of building rapport between students. Thinking about the lighting, making sure that people are not being blacked out by having the light focusing in the wrong direction. And that's the same for students as well as for teachers, because we want to see each other's facial features. We want to see um, smiles. We want to see the eyebrows going up and down, because, again, that communicates just as much um, in some ways as speaking to one another. Yeah, the nonverbal cues yeah. are so important in communication, aren't they? Yeah. Building relationships and, and allowing um, students to see facial expressions and all those things contribute yeah. to a much better level of communication. Yeah, and I think that's one thing that we've learned, that we should maybe allow a lot more time at the beginning of a course for students to to get to know each other. And that time should be built into that course because when they're in a physical classroom, when the teacher leaves the room, they can sit and chat together and get to know each other. They can't do that online because they, it can only be one person talking at a time unless they go into breakout rooms, which is then being managed. So it, that sort of spontaneous socialization doesn't happen. 
um, naturally in the same way as it would normally. So, yeah, we, we need to sort of spend more time and find ways of building those relationships. And like I say, giving it more time um, because that is really important. The sooner students can feel comfortable with each other, the more likely to, they are to ask each other for help if they don't understand something or maybe have more confidence to ask the teacher as well as a group if they don't understand something. So I think we haven't always focused enough on that aspect of online learning. Yeah, I think things are arising, aren't they, constantly? And it's it's good to hear, though, that, that we're thinking about how to solve these problems and trialling different things in the classroom no, to solve, solve yeah. these issues. All right, so there have been challenges, but what would you say were the unexpected benefits to teaching online? Um, well, I mean, there are a few benefits from teaching online in terms of practicality. So, for example, we can record our lessons which is useful, um, especially for us teaching English as a foreign language or pre-sessional, because the students can go away and listen again, which is useful on um, many levels. Not only is it the content that they can review, but they can also use it as listening practice. Also, again, by recording things, if they lose connectivity, again, they can also review that element or if they're traveling between places they don't necessarily need to be absent because they can go back and study the information that had been presented. So recordings are great, really good for seminar work as well when students can see each other and see who's dominant and who's not turn-taking or who's just allowing people to talk over them so students can watch themselves in that respect and learn about um, their own interaction skills so that that's interesting mm -hmm. other things which are good is that i mean we we work online obviously when we're in the physical environment of the campus but by being able to work from home online i think sometimes we can be more efficient um, especially when marking um, because there's no distractions around and that's nice i do like that element of it uh, the chat function is good that kind of helps students. I think it forces students to write and share ideas, which sometimes, when, again, when we're in the physical classroom, students might just write on a, a notebook and then refuse to share that with you. But when it's in a chat, they feel that kind of peer pressure to produce something. They are also developing their keyboard skills, which for most of our students who come from backgrounds and languages with different alphabets and different writing systems, that's incredibly useful and wouldn't necessarily happen when we're, again if we're in the physical face-to-face -face classroom. Uh, one student actually told me something at the end of one of the stages that he'd really really enjoyed the pre-sessional and highly recommended it because he said it wasn't just about the English, it wasn't just about the content for the pre-sessional, it wasn't just about making friends with students around the world but he said he felt now far better equipped to go into the modern work world of Zoom meetings um, and breakout rooms and conferences and have the confidence to speak online, which, you know, a few weeks earlier, he said he would never have done. So Wow, I think, yeah, I hadn't considered that, actually, that, I mean, the world is online. A considerable amount of the tasks that we have to do in our workplace anyway are online and the students are going to have to go back to their own lives after their um, academic careers are over yeah. and, and function perhaps in English in yeah. an online environment. So this yeah. is developing their digital fluency on a professional level, like you said, their confidence, their their autonomy, and not just as students, but, you know, as, as confident, independent people, people. in the workplace. Yeah. Very yeah. interesting. Yeah. 
you know, one thing I would say is probably it's less tiring than being in a face-to-face classroom in some <laughs> respects, because when you're in the face-to-face classroom, again, it's very physical. You're moving constantly, you know, so you don't have that. You're just sitting, you know, although it, there's a disadvantage at sitting at a screen, there is also that um, you're not exhausted at the end of the day in the same way that you would be. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, OK, well, it's great talking to you, Aldona. Thank you very much. Thank you.